Hello and welcome to Science Unscripted. It is Connor here. Hey, Gabe. Last time we talked uh, for quite a while about artificial intelligence and making it fair. I, I thought that was an absolutely fascinating discussion and question uh, mm -hmm. based on the amount of people who listened to that podcast. You, you didn't necessarily agree. Numbers weren't all that great. Okay. Well, you know, that happens. <laughs> that happens. Sure. But still, I thought I would add one last thing to it that uh, was part of the research, couldn't include in that conversation, which is just when you go to tools like ChatGPT or, or Bing or anything that's generating answers for you, be aware that it influences you more than you expect. This was re really recent research out of Germany, Ingolstadt. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they basically created these moral dilemmas or pre-existing moral dilemmas and had chatbots and humans give answers to people and all these people came in and they're like oh i don't you know i'm not going to be influenced by a chatbot mm -hmm. or something like chat gpt by AI. they were yes you were um and they were strongly influenced their opinions changed mm -hmm. i think 80 percent of them had come in saying it it's i know it's artificially or artificial intelligence yeah. that won't affect me it did it changes you it, it just just be aware that what it gives you might become your own opinion Without you even realizing it. Huh. Think critically about it. Assume it's wrong before you assume it's right. All right. We are going to now talk about a couple different studies. Animals. My, mice. This is out of the University of Utah. They were looking at, um, well, the conclusion of their research was that second guessing is hardwired into the, mice, the mouse brain. I make a decision, and then later I think, ah, should I have made that decision? That's second guessing. Right? Yeah. Something something you, you should know to be true based on your experience, then you go and check to make sure if it is indeed true, even though you've just you know that it's true. Well they were looking at the way that mice deal with foraging and, and looking for food. So in the first part of the experiment, mice went to a certain part of this little setup, this little home that they made for them, and they knew that in the corner A there was food. The next time they went in and there was no food in corner A, but there was food in corner B. So they, so they knew for sure that there was food in corner B right in front of them, seeds that they could eat. Look, it's over there. I see the seeds. And they could, they could eat the seeds, right? They want to eat the seeds. I think. But they went over and checked corner A as well. <laughs> just, just to see, because last time there were seeds there as well. Wow, so strong... So even effect. though they, they have the seeds right in front of their face, they go over to corner A as well just to see if... There'll be seeds over there as well. Do they have poor eyesight? I mean, I know they have a strong nose, but it leads me... Because you would think the visual information that says over there in that corner is empty, mm -hmm. that, that, that would be a clear indication I don't need to even go there and look. Regardless, it's an irrational... It's, it's, it's economically suboptimal <laughs> for these mice to go over to corner A if they have in corner B food right in front of their face. So what's going the on? The researchers... Exactly. So what they found out, which it, the reason why it became really interesting was that some of the mice didn't do this as much. Hmm. And those mice had less of a... The gene, the ARC or ARC gene, and that gene is responsible for brain plasticity or memory for that allows us to remember if we have this arc gene then we remember if you don't have the arc gene you don't remember so well okay so the they... mice that didn't have the arc gene who couldn't remember as well didn't second guess themselves they sat there and ate the seeds in corner b that's exactly what i would have guessed yeah and it's a weird conclusion because it's suggesting that 
memory, having too good of a memory, is a hindrance to ec good economic behavior. Because you're remembering, oh yeah, that, that was the corner. It, it That's makes where the you second guess yourself. So, right? Even though I know I've got my food, I go into the fridge, right? I've got the food right in front of me that I want. I go and check the cupboard because last time there was a lot of food in that cupboard. Even though I've got the food I want in the fridge, I don't need to go check the cupboard. I don't need to second guess myself. I go and do it because I can remember it so well. The mice that couldn't remember, that didn't have this ARC gene, went and second guessed themselves, which led the researchers to conclude that some decision making is genetically based. And that's, that's huge. I mean, decision genetics, that would be a brand new field of and, neuroscience. Well, and yeah, that the role of memory could have such a strong role in irrational behavior. I think most people tend to think of memory as only good the better your memory, obviously to, to a mm. point, if you have photographic memory and you're, you have this cas cascade of images nonstop, that's Constantly not good. Constantly second guessing yourself no matter what you do because you, could, you have all these images in your mind of right. things that could be. But the, the ability to forget, to, to not have a good memory, that, that could... For these mice, it was great. It was, for them, economically great. They, they ate more. They were able to eat more in their foraging forays than the ones that uh, had this gene and could remember well. Hmm. But it leads to, I mean, huge philosophical questions, like free will being based on genetics, whether you have this ARC gene or whether based on your brain, your decision making maybe is not a product of your own free will. It's based on what's in your brain. Well, because the mice might think I'm, I'm choosing to go check the empty corner just in case when in fact it's... No, you're not. It's because it's it's of that ARC gene. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Really fascinating. Well, we're going to stick with animals for now, a very different animal, a completely different size. Hmm. Maybe the, the opposite possible size. We're going to giraffes, <laughs> from mice to giraffes. Yeah. And um, this was an experiment that I liked a lot because it's easy to understand. Giraffes are just kind of fun. And um, it, 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 there's a lot to it, even though it seems so simple. So basically, the question here was, can giraffes make decisions? Mm-hmm based on statistical probabilities. Okay. So what is a statistical probability? It means I don't have perfect information, right? Mm -hmm. But based on the information I have, uh, should I do A or B? For human beings out there, we do this all the time without even thinking about it. Ah, should I take that road or should I take that road? Well, right. it's this time of the morning, there's a lot of traffic going to the school. Right. But on the other road, they were doing con construction. It's all probabilities. We do it all the time. And what are the choices that these giraffes are supposed to, supposed to be making? Right. So this is about food because that's a question. How do you test whether an animal can make a probability-based decision? Um, it's, it's an experiment that's been done a couple of different times. The standard is you pick one of their favorite foods and their least favorite foods mm -hmm. and try to make them try and get it, basically, based on probability. Mm -hmm. So uh, giraffes apparently haven't spent too much time around them. I've watched them at the Cologne Zoo for quite a while. They love carrots. Okay. Absolutely love carrots. They don't like zucchini. Okay. So carrots are great. Zucchinis don't want them. Right. And so the first experiment is basically, if you can imagine uh, the largest possible Tupperware uh, uh, container yeah. filled with a mixture of carrots and zucchini. So one of them is, let's say, like 80% carrots. That's the good one. Yeah. 20% zucchini. Yeah, the other one's like 80% zucchini. That's the bad one. Horrible water-based ugly fruit. Yeah. It, yeah, what is, well, actually, a little olive oil and some, some Parmesan on there. Could be Still really don't like it. Anyway, so the researcher goes up, experimenter, grabs from the Tupperware, mm -hmm. left hand, 
is from the good Tupperware. Yeah. Right hand is from the bad one. <laughs> giraffe is sitting there watching this. Yeah. And now the experimenter walks over to the giraffe with closed fists. Giraffe doesn't know what's inside these fists. Which one does it choose? Only four. What's their sense of smell? Can they smell? They ruled that out. Okay. They ruled that out. Okay. That was one okay. of the things out. And I'll get okay. in in just a bit. I'll get to some other really interesting things that they had to okay, rule so out. Okay, so it's right hand or left hand? Right. And these four giraffes down in Barcelona, Spain, yeah. uh, they were good at that. Barcelona. Bar- <laughs> is, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they were really good at that. They could figure that out. Um, what they could not do was part two of the experiment. And here, if you can imagine, you uh, same Tupperware. Now you do a first layer inside of carrots and zucchini. Yeah. Then you put a plastic barrier. And then you do another layer. So now you have four sets of visual, uh, of mixtures, you could say. And the drafts in this case kind of have to figure out, uh, they kind of have to ignore the bottom because the researcher is not going to reach into the bottom. They're going to reach into the top. So the bottom might look really juicy. That's carrot land yeah, down yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the top where the researcher is going to reach into is all zucchini. Yeah. And they need to be able to put that together. And they're watching this. They can they're, see the hand watching. going yeah. submerged into oh, the yeah. zucchini or oh, the yeah. carrot. Okay. Oh, yeah. They're, they're, this, these, these buckets are like, I don't know, 20 S- feet off the ground. Salivating they're, yeah, giraffes. They're, who... they're forced to look right at them. Yeah. They're watching the whole time. And they couldn't ignore the visual information from the bottom of the bucket. They, kept, they got mixed up. They couldn't figure it out. So which animals can do that? Non-human primates, chimpanzees, bonobos, orangutans, and gorillas. Mm-hmm. And they can figure that part out. And interestingly, also kia birds. Kia birds, I love them because I was on a, a, a four-day hike in New Zealand and crossed a pass, the McKinnon Pass, and they were all waiting up there for me, these big parrot-like things. Yeah. Um, and they can also figure that out. They were trained on what a barrier is. They were taught, that, hey, look, plastic barrier, it stops things. Yeah. And, so the, and then they were able to do it. So uh, those are, that's the sh- very short list of animals that have been proven to be able to do that. Uh, what, but what they're doing here, so why, why do it with giraffes? Why keep going down? Well, it's about something called, and I'm going to look this up here, the encephalization quotient. This is the question of, how big is the brain in the animal compared to what we would expect based on the size? So off the top of the charts, are we humans? We have a huge brain, mm-hmm. calorically very expensive brain yeah. for our size. A lot of real estate. A lot of real estate up there. Dolphins are way up there. Non-human primates are way up there. Um, then you've got these kias, kia birds somewhere on there, and giraffes are low. If the average is a one yeah. and going above the one is good, they're like a 0.6 something. They're low. And so what they've established is, okay, with a, a smaller brain ratio to body size, you still do statistical probabilities. That's possible. Uh, to but a certain extent. To a certain extent. Okay. And it doesn't go further than that. That was the point. Last thing I'll say here, I mentioned one thing they had to rule out was the clever Hans effect. Clever Hans? The clever Hans effect. Do you, are you aware of the, the German name Hans? The German name Hans. Yeah. And this story comes from Germany. The clever Hans effect, uh, we're going back to about the year 1900. Uh-huh. And there's this guy, Wilhelm von Osten. <laughs> Wilhelm's living in Berlin. Yeah. And in fact, he was living like two kilometers away from where you and I stayed in Berlin last time we were there in that horrible hotel. Do you remember that? Yeah, well, close, to Alexander, Alexanderplatz, yeah. close to Alexanderplatz. Close to Alexanderplatz. Like two kilometers Waste away from land. Him. Yeah. Ugh. So he's he's picking up horses, one horse, two horse, and then he gets his horse from Russia. And a few years later, he's doing the circuit through Germany, an international sensation because, and I'm going to quote here, 
Von Osten taught Hans, this is the horse now, to add, subtract. This is the horse doing math now. Multiply, divide, work with fractions, tell the time and date, read, and spell and to understand German. If he asked the horse a question such as what is 12 plus 12, the horse would tap its hoof 24 times. I don't believe it. He traveled around the country, he made a bunch of money, etc., etc. So these scientists are like, no way. Clever Hans. Their horses can't do fractions. They can't <laughs> read. They can't. They, the, the Julian or Gregorian can, calendar, I don't know what he was doing. Anyway, they looked into it. What was going on? The horse got really, really good at noticing when a human expected him to stop. So okay, if, so he's tapping, 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 and then right at 23, he's like, oh my God, now's what I... We all do it. So without realizing it, they think... Body language. ...that what von Austin was doing was very slightly raising his eyebrows. Without no, He didn't know. He really thought his horse was that smart. <laughs> he didn't know. And so his eyebrows are going up, and the horse sees it, and he's like, I, I gotta stop now. And all the bystanders, oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> clever Hans. Clever Hans is so clever. So, yeah, these, these folks came in, scientists, and said, no, that's, that's not what's happening. It's re he's reading your eyes, your face. Somehow he knows. And to his credit... or To, <laughs> to, to whose credit? The to, horse or to, or to uh, Wilhelm von Austin? To, to von Austin. I'm being sarcastic here. Um, von Austin, and this is translated out of the German, von Austin was very upset about the results after the research was completed. <laughs> if his anger was initially directed against his horse... Which, by the way, that is so unfair. <laughs> he takes it out on Hans. I know it was a long time ago, but come on. this horse. Uh, he, he soon regained his old confidence, and von Austin did not allow any further experiments. That's his, that was his result. You're not going to come in here and tell me that my horse is not as smart as I thought it was. Did the horse continue to do the fractions? or? It, it, the, well, it, this is what it says. The worldview he had built up about his horse was quickly restored, and all undeniable facts that contradicted it were ignored. So he stood by the fact that he had a genius, genius horse. But uh, to go back to what we're talking about here, what they had to establish was that the giraffes, in this case, were not somehow, in some immeasurable way, noticing what the experimenters wanted them to do. Mm. And so this was, uh, I don't know exactly. Reading the body language. Reading the body language. And so they had to eliminate all not body language. on what the hands were going into. But yeah, a lesson learned Zucchini, through a, a, from a from a clever horse in Germany in the in the early 1900s, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, an interesting aspect of how brain size. We I think that's what they're getting at here. Brain size is always it, it, it served as kind of a proxy for intelligence, mm. and we don't know if that's actually true. If it's relatively large or relatively small. Are they more or less intelligent? We still do not know, and this is just one more piece of that puzzle. Encephalo... Encephalography. Encephalization quotient. Encephalization quotient. Comments, yeah. questions, anything else? Word of praise? Any other clever animals out Criticism, there? Criticism, anything, anything you got to say. I see you at DW.com.